Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Life is full of what ifs. Some awesome, like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome, like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out of pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Hello, big interview, cool cats. We're back now. In this latest episode, we bring you a seasoned Premier League footballer, a winner, a champion, a man brought up in Belfast, but who came of age in Manchester, winning trophies at home and abroad. Well, there's a damn lie I've told you just to start with. He came of age back in Belfast. That's because this man made his international debut before he'd even kicked a ball competitively in England for Sunderland, Manchester United, and he did it with a victory over Spain, no less. A victory which changed European football history. He most recently represented those boys in green in a fabulous performance to get to and then work well at the European Championships in France. Yes, you've guessed it. Johnny Evans, come on down. We spoke to Johnny towards the end of what's been a record-breaking, fantastic campaign for West Brom in the Premier League. And we reflected on his team's achievements this season, plus lots more, including the massive change of mentality at the club under Tony Pulis and with Darren Fletcher and Johnny himself there. Finally, your man was good enough to sign a West Brom top for us. If you'd like to get your boing boing hands on it, sign up to our mailing list today at grahamhunter.tv. Johnny Evans, a gentleman, a scholar, brilliant footballer, top man, Top big interview. We do this for you. We're in beautiful, well, the beautiful leafy Manchester countryside where hailstones are bombing down to welcome me home. Thank you for taking the time to come and speak to us. No problem. On the big interview. You've you've come here. (laughs) Well, I think it's you who's probably gone the furthest. It's not about geographical miles. It's about the warmth, the welcome, the kindness. We've wanted to speak to you for an awful long time because during this series, people keep praising you. So we wanted to speak to you anyway. Um, But when people talk you up as a fantastic, balanced, visionary defender who reads the game well, we thought, let's come and learn. But I'm not sure where you think we should start. I'm I'm, going to ask you, should I start in Rathcool? What is it and what does it mean to you? People won't know Rathcool if I say it just like that. When I say it, what sensations does it bring to you and what mental pictures does Rath Cole bring to you? Well, it was a, it was a working class housing estate, really. And, um, you know, I spent, when I think of my childhood there, you know, um, I think of playing football. And I do. I mean, we used to have literally over the back of the houses just behind me, there was um, 
big football pitches right in the middle of the estate. And going out my front door, there was a little green just down below where we used to play. And um, yeah, I mean, it's got a, I mean, that, that gave us a platform to go out and play. You know, myself and my brother, Elsie Corey was a couple of years younger than me. We actually moved out of Rathcoole probably when I was around the age of eight years old. So, mm -hmm. but those early days of getting out playing football with all the other kids in the street, you know, street football. And um, no, it definitely brings back good memories. And, and I value that sometimes more than you know, at, at other stages in my, in my life where I'd be alone kicking the ball against the wall, being able to go out and um, have fun. You, you, so you quite knew that there was an outside world, not just that you know your dad had gone to Chelsea and at Arsenal and, and he said you're better, but I think some people um, grow up maybe in a bubble you know, a very happy bubble, but they're not aware that there's another big world or that professional football might come to them. And I don't know the answer to this question, but at a very young age, I think, somebody comes tapping you on the shoulder or says to your dad, but this lad are, are, are coming to United. What was that process like? I mean, it was strange. I mean, I don't, I don't think you sort of, you grasp it at that age. Mm. You don't, when, even when I look back now, I don't think... Uh, you know, at that time, I knew I was going to be a footballer. Or, I remember at that time, you know, you, you always always have self doubt. You know, like mm -hmm. you're still so far away. And my, my mum and dad, I think with my dad's experience of going across the water and coming back, um, you know, they they made us realise that. You know, like you've got so far to go. Don't mm. don't think for a second that you know you you've made it as a footballer. But I mean, I I can remember the game. I think we played. A, I think it was a cup final. But we were playing a game in in Lisbon. And my dad came to me after the game and he said the Man United scout was here. He was nine years old at the time and he wants you to come to the School of Excellence. Wow. So it was just a local, you know, Northern Ireland School of Excellence which had set up. And it was, I think it was about, it wasn't long after, maybe six months, where the scouts were over from, the chief scout at the time, I think it was Jeff Watson, to come over and watch the game. And he was like, right, they want you to go across on trial. So I went across, it was the 31st of October, I remember, because it was my dad's birthday, Halloween night. <laughs> and uh, taking off in Belfast, I remember seeing all the fireworks. We, you know, we have fireworks in Belfast on Halloween night. <laughs> <laughs> um, and I remember going across, and there was probably about six or seven lads at the time, and that was the start of it. That was me going, to, going across, and quite regularly at that time. They changed the rules later on, maybe when I was about 12 or 13, which made it a lot more difficult for lads, you know, with, with it, they were living with, um, outside an hour and a half travelling mm -hmm. distance of, mm -hmm. of Manchester, so... Yeah, my, my road with Man United at that time was started very early in my life, really. And at, and at what pitch, at what point does I'd imagine Sir Alex Ferguson and your dad would have pretty similar experiences and views on life. And I know through Alec and, and Martin Ferguson that their father spent some time playing in Ireland, working in Belfast as well. I'd have thought that they would have had quite similar views about upbringing, about football. Yeah, I mean, I don't know if it, if it hurt my dad, the fact that he didn't. He never sort of came across like that in, in that way. But, you know, it was all about, you know, hard work. And I think he thought, well, his two sons have got a chance because he gave us that chance by encouraging us. Mm -hmm. I know that, you know, we did, we weren't just born and said, right, we're going to be because we were his sons and we had a bit of football ability. You know, he took us out, he played football with us and he encouraged us to always go out and practice and, and work on our, work on our skill basically. Work on our technique, and 
you know, those early days, he says, as much as the most you can learn young, at, at a younger age, you know, the better it'll, it'll stand you going forward. And that was something that, you know, even now I still think, I wish I'd done more. Really? Yeah, because there's still, there's, there's certain things that, you know, maybe you think, right, I'm not good at that. I wish I'd done that better. And, you know, the earlier in your, in your, in your life, I think that you, you practice those things. And you think they stick with you? I think they stick with you and I think obviously you gain confidence from being good at something so you, you, you're able to work on it even better. You mentioned something that really interests me that, and I hope it's not repetitive in this theme of, of interviews but the idea about needing somebody to give you confidence to show you a path to encourage you for example a couple of interviews ago Peter Crouch was talking about his dad engaging one of the Curver coaches and actually taking his boy Peter to practice in a local park before school I mean, these days, how many dads do that? I mean, I think a lot of kids who should be coming to football possibly now come from homes where either both parents are working every damn hour that, and, and you never see them or broken homes. And, and maybe kids who don't have that figure to encourage, to guide, mm -hmm. just to show you that it's worthwhile playing. People, at the moment, we make a big deal of handheld games and videos and... Kids are being lost to football, but yeah. parents are a big influence to parents and teachers, no? No, it's true. I think. I mean, my dad worked. He worked long hours. I think when I, when I was a kid, he was um, he was working in the shipyard in Belfast. Obviously, so I think the benefit I had was, like I said, I grew up in a, a working class estate where there was loads of kids out playing football. So it was never a, it never felt like uh, we were being forced out the door and not the the. Um, Playing video games, in fact, I don't even think we had them then. I no. maybe had like no. <laughs> the only option was to go out and play football, and there was lots of lads in our street, and like I say, we had the football pitches behind the um, behind the house, so we were always out playing. Who's the kid that had the ball? Did you have the ball? No, I never had the ball. Because <laughs> <laughs> the kid who had the ball, if you lived in a neighbourhood where the kid who had the ball was good, you were screwed because not only could he walk off, but he could probably beat as well. But it always seemed to be whenever you're growing up, the kid who wasn't very good, that was the one who had the ball, and if he lost, his team lost, I'll be wearing home <laughs> the football. No, there was, there was actually quite a, I think me and Corey were always probably the youngest two lads in the street, so we were always around older lads who were playing, and I actually, it made us maybe grow up in a, in a way, yeah. we had to sort of play against these lads, and you know, get stuck in, that's what you had to do. Did you think about that? I mean, during days, uh, six, seven, eight, nine, where you're knocked over, you lose a bit of skin, maybe one of them says, don't do that to me again. I can remember, I can remember one day actually, I'm out playing and uh, this guy, he's a bit of the estate bully. He started, um, I don't know, maybe maybe I was showing off or maybe he thought, <laughs> oh, I'll teach him a lesson, but he just started, you know, every time I got the ball, kicking my legs and booting my shins. And I, I came into the house after and I had all these cuts on my legs and. Mm. My mum was obviously getting all upset, and my dad said, "Well, whenever you, well, first of all, he told me the next time pick up a stick and hit him with it." <laughs> Quite right too. Um, and then he said, "Well, you know, one day whenever you're playing for Man United and he's looking tickets, you don't get him tickets." <laughs> <laughs> and you know that was, I mean, obviously he's probably thinking, "No, I'm never going to play for Man United." That was just a, a pipe dream, really. But you know, those little things like that stuck with me, and I always wanted to have that. Um, Ambition, maybe to prove people wrong as well. Do you know, recently, um, thanks to Quinton Fortune, I went and watched Quinton um, taking a couple of sessions um, at Carrington. I was about to say the cliff there, which was a well damn. And the kids played in something they called the cage, which maybe you saw or remember, or whatever. But the concept seems to be, and I hope I'm not maladroit in describing it, 
that the ball's in play a lot and it's quick and they seem to referee it a little bit more loosely. It, it, there was there was some shin kicking and would have, if there were sticks, there would have been some <laughs> stick hitting. But the coaches there told me that their idea was that they wanted to replicate something uh, of what's been lost in street football. So one, you would recognise that that was worthwhile uh, and, and two, it, it's bound to damage the skill level of people developing now if they don't try to escape the bumps and bangs and bruises of, of bullies, of curbsides, of tarmac. True, street true. football, yeah? I mean, I think Manchester United was based a lot on, you know, a type of street football, working things, work, working situations out for yourself and being tough. I mean, we, um, like you say, we had the cage at, at Carrington at the time, um, which we used to play a lot in. Um, Paul McGuinness, my youth team coach back then, was a big advocate of that. Being able to look after yourself, and I think even even if you look at like South American football, you know a lot of them are street footballers, mm -hmm. and some of them are the best best players in the world. You know a lot of a lot of centre forwards and attacking players and flair have, have come from that style of football, street football, and being able they can all look after themselves. Mm -hmm. And you know people talk about British football being you know an aggressive style of football, but <laughs> I've yet to see anyone as aggressive as, as South Americans. You know they can all handle themselves, look after the ball. Um, it's one thing, you know, I used to talk with, with Rio quite a lot about it, about how the South Americans were so good using using the body to protect mm -hmm. the ball mm -hmm. and foreign players and how they can um, just put their body, put their bum out. Anderson was one of the best I've ever seen at it. He had a big bum to do it. <laughs> yeah, but just, was, just for those, because you can't see this isn't video, Johnny turned and looked at me at that instance, <laughs> which, is, which is unfortunate, but we'll continue anyway. <laughs> you know Anderson, Raphael. You know all the you know the. Dalglish was famous for it. Well, he was. He, he yeah. did. He did exactly what you're talking about, and that gave him that little corkscrew twist. Suarez does it. Yeah. Now at Barcelona, where he can do things probably that Messi can't do. Messi doesn't do that. Take hold, stick his bum out, turn somebody maybe because he doesn't have to. But Suarez is an identical of what you're talking well, he's about. He's probably the best in the, in the modern game, man. At Suarez, yeah. Mm. He definitely is. I mean, I've known that from playing against him myself. You know, you go too tight at the wrong time, and he, like you say, he just he can roll you at any time. He's fantastic at it. And this, so the the cage idea, you liked you 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 found yourself comfortable in. I mean, it's a skill that it, yeah, we found it comfortable because it was you know it was a theme at Manchester United at the time, and I mean, there's so many other aspects of football that need to be worked on. You know, but it is a, a certain skill that. That can be used and can be improved on, and um, I mean, for example, if you're if you're going to go and play street football all the time, you know, where are you going to be able to work on your long range passing or your mm -hmm. or your head? You might not go head the ball, or mm -hmm. you know, there are different aspects of football, but it's one that um, you know it's that we used a lot and something that has always benefited us. It's to do in good stead, and I suppose that there's a lot. Of, there's different versions of toughness, Tony. I think from watching people in your profession, you know, because. You know, you most footballers in one way or another are going to get bullied in their lives. Um, whether it's psychological, whether it's by a teammate that wants your place, whether it's by fans who are breathing down your neck at a horrible little ground in a League Cup tie on a Tuesday night. And there, there's, you're going to face a lot of aggression one way or another. A manager who, not all managers are, are you know, kissy, kissy, huggy, huggy. They, and, and some of the ones who get tucked into you, might not have that much ability and, and 
the degree of toughness you need to, to make it in football, I think, is a little bit underestimated, well, in I my think, opinion. I think even if you, look, if you look at the manager that we played under at the time, his, I mean, his whole sort of ethos went down through Manchester United, you know, from a, from a young age. I mean, like I say, I was going across to Manchester United from 10 years old. Mm. And, you know, he knew, he knew then who I was. So he knew right f through the club what type of players, character he wanted and what style of football he wanted. And, and he wanted his players to be like that and he wanted the players coming through the academy to be like that. And you know that ran right through, like I say, right the whole way down through, through most players. And the ones who didn't have that probably didn't make the grade in the end. Would you have, would his first words or the first day he stopped and said your name, would that have stuck with you? From, from when was that? What would you have? Well, we were actually staying in a, we were all on trial, maybe about 20 kids in this hotel in Manchester. And he came and had dinner with us all. He introduced himself, like I said, I was 10 at the time. It was one of the first times I'd ever been over. I'd met him on, on different occasions. I'd come over with my parents, maybe, for, for them to introduce him. He challenged me to a game of pool. I think I was about 11 years old at the time. Beat me on the black ball. <laughs> my dad was not happy. <laughs> he said, I can't believe you let That was a test. <laughs> And you let him beat you, but you know he was—he always had time for the youngsters, and something that you know as players for us to know that he had that involvement and was always watching us, um, making sure that you know we were progressing how he wanted us to, because he had a long-term vision, and people don't—I don't think understand that or realize that he, the vision that he, he could see so far, far in advance, and he was—he was preparing us and preparing players um, who'd be coming in. To, to, to be able to come into his team and, and, and handle it. Your background and attitude would have meshed well with what he expected of a man, never mind just a footballer. I think so. I mean, I think that was something he always he always wanted to know your character. He, mm. he, was, he tested your character and, you know, that was, he wanted players he didn't hide, always showing for the ball. Um, players that, you know, wanted to take responsibility on the pitch and that was, you know, that was a, a big thing to be able to, to, to get into his teams. You moved, did, if I'm not wrong, did you move as a family? to, to when, when the dream seems to be coming true, when United want you, you, you all uproot? We did, I mean, it wasn't the, I mean, I, 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 I moved probably, I think it was February, and my parents, my dad lost his job at the time, um, and my brother was coming on trial later that year, so it was kind of a, Everything sort of came to a head at the time, I think. And so the family just decided, well, let's just all go. And I mean, for me to have that support of my family there was obviously amazing. My brother signed academy forms with Manchester United. So we were all there and all sort of on that journey together of... of that's, a, that's a big boost, genuinely. It was, I mean, it was a big boost. I mean, I, I mean I'd lived in digs for six months before that. I was in with a great family. I was in with uh, two players, Luke Steele and Sylvan Blake. I mean, Sylvan's gone on to have a good career in English football. Luke's playing Panathinaikos. So, I mean, I experienced that side of it as well, living in Diggs. But, I mean, there's no place like home and having yeah. your family there and having that support. I mean, my little sister was four, year old, four years old at the time. She, had the, she didn't have a say in anything, but she could drag the, drag the cross to, to live in England. And so, you know, little things like that I'll always be grateful for. Yeah, there's the stages in your sister's development that you haven't lost simply because you're in the same country, same city too. Um, so at, at that stage, you know, things are clearly going well. How would you chart your development through the system at Manchester United? Because you, you might, at what stage do you start looking up and saying, 
you know, this is a club where they keep signing players in my position. Or what, what goals do you begin to set yourself? Maybe that's the better way to look at the short I term. Mean, sometimes I hear people saying, oh, you should set targets, set goals. I've never, I'd never have. And sometimes I think maybe I'm wrong. Maybe I should set goals. But I've, it's never been something that um, I've thought, right, I have to get into this team by this stage or play so many games, do this, do mm. that. I mean, it all just sort of flowed for me. And I had good loan spells. I mean, I'd gone to Antwerp for six months, which was a great experience. It was myself, Fraser Campbell, Darren Gibson, Danny Simpson, all living in an apartment in Antwerp. <laughs> in the same apartment. Games of late night chess. Yeah, exactly. Studying, <laughs> learning Flemish. Learning Flemish, that was something we definitely didn't uh-huh. do. Uh-huh. <laughs> Some Stella, perhaps. Yeah, there's a few. Nice brewery Stella there. Twan, <laughs> but, you know, but the Antwerp idea then is a good idea. I mean, it was a great learning experience. We were all away from home, had to learn. My wife still, she says, <laughs> I always say that's where I learned to use a washing machine. <laughs> She's like, will you stop bringing up your time in Antwerp? Um... But independence. Yeah, we we gained independence. Then you know, I, I then went to Sunderland. Um, had two long spells at Sunderland before. We come to that. Before uh, getting into man, coming back and sort of being a part of the Manchester United first team for for a long time, really. All right, then in that case, the, the thing that um, I don't know if I'm influenced because I'm a Celt or because I've moved away, but. And also because I try to drag these interviews back to me all the time. <laughs> you, you changed my life. You literally changed my career. You are part of the reason that we're here. Explain that one then, go on. <laughs> um, Spain go to the World Cup in 2006, managed by Luis Aragonés, a guy who says, before he gets the job, literally, what's all this pish about little guys with the football? Spain is La Furia Roja. We run around, we bump into people, we charge, we're gung-ho. Stop talking about this possession rubbish and... Oh, fucking hell. Look at Xavi and Iniesta once he takes over. Look at Xavi and Iniesta, look how they pass the ball. I've changed my mind. <laughs> but you helped change his mind because in 2006, off the back of the World Cup, this is why I want to ask you about it because um, you, you haven't started playing for Manchester United's first team at this stage. Yeah. You haven't started playing on loan at Sunderland yet. So you've played what? Um, what's called under-21 football now or reserve team football for United? Yeah, it would have been reserve. I'd just gone, if I know what you're talking about, I'd just gone to um, Antwerp, literally at the end of, well, it might have been, anyway, some t- sometime in August. In the build-up to what becomes your Sunderland season, you've spent, what, the first few months of that season in Antwerp? Well, I was in Antwerp, um, for the first half of the season, and I joined Sunderland in the, the, January, yep. tra- in the January transfer window. So in between, you become one of these footballers who doesn't just make his international debut, but I think plays three times for his country before he's played, you know, senior Premier League football. And the one that's, I mean, particularly important is, is Spain. And I think that's a magical experience, a magical story. Um, Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive & June. Olive & June gives you 
everything that you need for a salon quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. If you thought the only way to get a more defined jawline with natural-looking results was through surgery, think again. Juvederm Volux XC is a non-surgical injectable gel filler that improves moderate to severe loss of jawline definition and can help you achieve natural-looking results with little downtime. Even better, this improved definition lasts up to one year with optimal treatment. No maintenance required. Improve jawline definition for a smooth, sculpted look with Juvederm Volux XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. The first thing I want to know is, at what stage do you think I might be in here? Laurie Sanchez is the manager, yeah? That's right. Well, <laughs> it's actually a funny story because, uh, well, I think it's quite funny. But <laughs> That'll do for us. I, I, I played, um, I, think it was, I think it was Germany. My memory's not great on that one, but for the under 21s, under 21s on a Friday night. You did in that as well. I think Mario Gomez is on the bench. Right. And, uh, yeah, maybe two one, I think, to Germany. Oh, yeah, I can't remember the I'm game that well, is. but I'm I, can, it is. I remember the Spain one. <laughs> so I, I get a call on the Saturday. I think it was a Saturday night. I think Northern, Northern Ireland had been beaten three 0 by Iceland. Yeah, Sanchez wasn't happy, and I got a call. We want you in the the full squad um, tomorrow morning. So I think I think I was actually on my way out <laughs> to the nightclub. <laughs> so I carried on. I carried on the night anyway. Met up with the squad the next day, and we were training. And, um, I think Sanchez could see after a few few sessions or something I could use my left foot. So he thought, right, I'm gonna I'll put him in left back in the session. Mm. And then he, as I'm playing left back, I think he thought, I'm gonna I'm gonna play, have to play him. So it, that's how that's how it led up to me playing in the game. I think he was so impressed with me in training that he thought, right, I'm gonna have to throw him in. And he just said to me, you're gonna play. But sorry, the the funny story that that leads up to that is that Terry Gibson. <laughs> Revista genius yeah. love Terry great man he, he later told me that the reason he got called up to this Sanchez didn't know anything about me I was playing Antwerp at the time I played reserve football so it was like we didn't know anything about you but my son had seen you on championship manager fantastic here we go <laughs> alright we're going we're gonna to throw this right back at you but go ahead so the, I think that's how the story went anyway it is, son, it recomm- is. son recommended him to Terry Terry recommended it, recommended me to Sanchez, sorry, and that's how it went. And ended up playing the game, and we won three two. David Healy hat trick. Yeah, you whoa, whoa, whoa. This is not <laughs> how you, Johnny Evans. This is not how you tell stories. Anyway, that was that. That's Forrest coming, and that's all I have to say about that. Run, Johnny, run. Listen, you 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 beat the future European champions and changed the entire course 
of Spanish football. But more of that in a second. Okay. That um, sort of football manager, championship manager, do you know who that lumps you with? No. Messi. Right. Um, famously, in, in some of the books I've written and the podcast we've done, Alex McLeish, um, Aberdeen legend, works with Sir Alex Ferguson. By this stage, he's the Rangers manager. It's going okay, but they're short of money. And Alex's son, John, um, is a devotee. Uh, and Jamie, too, who's younger. A devotee of whatever it's called, then let's call it championship manager, football manager. And Alex don't got much time for this. He's a Rangers manager. He thinks it's probably more important to win games than to win competitions with his sons. But they say, dad, 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 dad. There's this fellow called Messi. And he's rocketing through the rankings in football manager. You've got to... You, you got to sign him. <laughs> and Alec McLeish says to Jan Vouters, who's the Dutch assistant at uh, Rangers, do you know Frank Rijkaard? He's the coach. Should, no, I don't. Rijkaard and I don't really get on. You, they won the 88 championship together, but they don't get on so well. But I do get on well as assistant Hen Tenkata. So Jan Vouters phones up and says, can we take Messi? And to cut a long story short, that we did quite recently, Barcelona are like, umming and awing, and they're, they're not very sure, but they think he's too young and too small. But Tenkat says to Jan Vouters, well, look, we've got this guy, Iniesta, that we don't really know what to do because he's also very small. He's not quite getting his game yet. Mugs. Yeah. Um, maybe he could come over there. And So it's nearly going to happen. There's a huge row in the Barca boardroom about it. It doesn't happen. But that means that this, this, this sort of trajectory, Terry Gibson, Alec McLeish, Johnny Evans, Leo Messi, Andres Iniesta, and... From the point of view, Neil and I are sitting here. We, we, you fit in that category. That's okay. <laughs> I'm, I'll take that. God, God bless football manager. <laughs> exactly. I should start playing it. I'd say so. Um, so when you're called over, I mean, you're a Northern Ireland fan. When you're away, right, and you've been away for at this stage nearly nine years because you're 19, um, you just sort of tossed that away there. Like they've been beaten 3 0 at home by Iceland. What's the mood of the country's not great? And, and unfortunately, no, no. there's been a, a wee night out, which Laurie and Terry, I yeah. think I've said, lads go out and the papers go mad about it. I, I think that the natives weren't happy in Belfast, I have to say. Is, is, that's no, the tone of that a, week. No, obviously there was a bit of a, a, <laughs> a, bit of a night out after, where after defeat. And there was, a, I think in the papers, there'd been, a few of the lads been pictured and there was champagne bottles flying around. And I actually, I turned up at the, uh, the hotel on the Sunday. So I've got, I've got my room key from reception and, I don't know any of the lads, and uh, I mean, I know who they are, but I don't know them personally. Mm. I've gone in, opened the door, walked in, and it's David Healy's room. <laughs> <laughs> so it turns out they've stuck me in, I'm sharing with David Healy, and uh, Keith Gillespie was in there, Roy Carroll, Oof. and they're all sitting around playing a game of cards, and I spotted the odd pint hiding in the <laughs> <laughs> I think once they realised it was me, the, the curtains came back and the pints were on show again. Um, but that was sort of my introduction to it, and I, yeah, that's how I got. I mean, it was great that I got the the share room with with, with David because I mean, he was not an Ireland legend. He had scored the year before against England, would have beat them one 0 So um, that was a great experience for me. And going into the game, and it, it sort of helped me sort of bond in and get to know them. One one of the things that, although we've only met briefly in a mix on once, but one of the things that has stood out watching you, and from whenever I talk to people who know you, that you're you're a quick absorber, you're a quick learner. And, that, and also you're disposed to learning. <clears throat> what do you try to do when you come in that day? Because at this stage, it's, it's, I like to, to haul the story back. You don't know at this stage you're going to beat Spain 3-2. Yeah. 
you are a young, inexperienced um, footballer in a squad which is beaten 3 0, hauled out over the papers. The public aren't that happy. You're managed by an Englishman, Laurie, yeah. sorry. Um, and therefore, what, what's your objective in this situation? You don't get out alive, get out without no, another no, beating. I think when you're young and you're playing, you don't have any. No fear. Yeah, I mean, they do talk about fear, and I try to th I mean, when I think think back of how did I feel at that time, I, there's no memory that sticks out. I don't think I had any feelings at that time. I was just going out to play football and express myself like I'd always done. And um, I've no sort of real recollection of the game itself. I know that sounds weird. Seriously? I mean, I remember, I think it was Xavi scored after about eight minutes, probably yeah. thinking this is going to be a long night. I remember Torres was playing right wing at the night. So that is worth pointing out that because at this stage you've got Raul and Villa and Torres and, and because you've been asked to play left back, which given your practice up against you know the, the garage wall and your whole attitude to football and your dad's words about Glenn Hoddle, two feet, you're relatively comfortable to be posted out left back. Yeah, I was happy on my, I mean, I've always been happy. I've always sort of played left-sided defence anyway because maybe I can use my left foot yeah. better than the most right-footed players. So, I mean, there was no issue with that. Um, Ramos, I think, played right back that day. That's correct, yep. Overlapping a bit? Overlapping, definitely. I mean, hmm. I think I got the winger in front of me to do quite a lot of work. <laughs> <laughs> and I, I always remember from the game, Xavi Alonso gave me cramp by pretending to play the ball to the, to the, <laughs> the winger. Because, you know, obviously he, was, he kept, you know, he used so much disguise and he was pretending to play the ball and then he would chop back and I'm still running out to the winger to close him down. I think in the second half it was Garcia. Yeah. He caught me with an elbow in the game and ended up with a black eye. So little things like that sort of... Uh, stick out in the game and obviously the cramp and, and Healy's goals. I mean, maybe you don't remember, but you've played there often enough now. What was Windsor Park like as an environment? Because I've spoken to some of the Spanish players about it and, you know, they've played some bumpy places, but they were kind of a little bit... Intimidate is the wrong word. It was a tough place for it's them to, really, to play. It was a really... It was, I mean, it was, Tell us why it was a tough place to play. I mean, was there yeah. a moat? Am I, am I, I, mean, I don't think there was alligators, but there was, there was some kind of moat, was there? Or what, what well, was? A, there was a big gap between the, the, the stand at one side, but I mean, the, the, the fans on the other side were really, really on top of you. And the atmosphere was fantastic. One side of the pitch always seemed to be in my left-back spot, seemed to sort of drag down at a slope, which when it rained, it got heavy, so the crump <laughs> would, sink, would sink in a bit quicker. And you know, the pitch wasn't great. Um, the actual playing surface itself and... The Northern Ireland fans would cheer every time you, you misplaced the pass or or anything like that. So, I mean, it was a, it was a very tough night for them on that night, and you know I do remember at the end Raul being a being a sore loser about it. In which way? I mean, he just walked off the pitch. You know, yeah. usually uh, players would, would shake hands Good and job. go around, but yeah. you know he didn't that night. Straight down the tunnel, and I he mean, might I think, have known the bell was tolling. You know, that was his penultimate international. Yeah, well, I could sort of sense that. You know, the the, the squad was. They weren't sort of happy and you know you could sort of send i, I sort of remember feeling at the time oh, this spain squad aren't as mm. you know maybe as together maybe more that's maybe me looking back and seeing how after that game they went on such a, a long run of of not losing games and being hugely successful they did yeah i mean they, they go and lose in sweden i mean i think it's worth pointing out that as far as as far as i can remember in that group then you beat you beat sweden. we had a good run yeah we actually ended up going away to we beat sweden yes mm. denmark so you beat denmark yeah you beat, you beat and draw with Sweden. Effectively, you make sure that Spain are first because the group difference at the end between Spain and Sweden is two points. Yeah, we did. And you paper. take four off Sweden. Yeah, we did. We we produced some some good good performances at, at, at that stage, and I mean we ended up going to play Spain, and 
I don't know why, why we, the game was in Grand Canaria. It was. So we, uh, the whole country went. <laughs> it was like everyone, the whole country went for a week. My grandparents went, I remember. <laughs> My whole family went. And I got, I got suspended for the game, the game before. And uh, I was like, I have to go. I can't. <laughs> but no one at the time, that Man United would have wanted me back. Yeah, ASAP. Sure. So sure. I'm there and I'm thinking, right, shall I just go? So I said to Nigel Worden at the time, I said to him, I'm coming. And uh, it wasn't until maybe like I'd got back from the trip that the, the sec one of the secretaries at the club came in and said, you do know that uh, Sir Alec has written a letter to the IFA asking why you didn't report back for, for club duty. And uh, the, the IFA wrote back and said, well, <laughs> it was Johnny's idea. He wanted to go. <laughs> So she was like, I've thanks, fellas. She came to me a week later and she said, like, I've got the reply back from the FA, but I'll do you a favour. I'll try and hold it back from him until, so that he, he doesn't ask about it. And thankfully, he never brought it up. Lost in the post. Brilliant. <laughs> but I had a great time in Grand Canaria. She was. It's a cracking story. Isn't it? The Spaniards tell me that, that equally they found that a, a relatively tough game. It was a tight game. And it's at that point when they win. I think that gets them qualification about which they've been nervous. And he's already making the change, Aragonés, to, to get more focus to, to David Silva. Look how he turned out. Iniesta, Xavi, um, the Senna idea... Played, I remember Senna. Senna, Senna comes played. through. Senna and Aragonés had a really good relationship to the point that Senna actually benches Xavi Alonso in the 2008 tournament mm -hmm. so that it becomes Senna number one and Xavi Alonso on the bench, which is remarkable now. Yeah, it is, yeah. The change around was absolutely huge and it, it effectively did mean Aragonés said, I'm now going to just vouch completely... And, we won't do it here, but the Raul thing against Luis Aragonés, then it was already going by Gran Canaria yeah. because um, there were petitions, there was flash mobs in Malaga Station when the Spain scored arrived there. Aragonés was taken onto television and, and in, there was an inquisition from member, 50 members of the public demanding to know what the hell he was doing about Raul. Yeah. It divided the nation like I've almost never seen in this country. And it, it began that night in Windsor Park. But the weird thing is, you're you're playing at that stage um, three times. You play for your mm -hmm. country before you make your Premier League um, debut. But your Premier League debut comes for Sunderland, for a loan. Right, you, yeah. You've you've taken um, the nice part of the story um, away that it's successful and it's a good experience. But what's the mind telling you when you're offered to go to Sunderland, and and how much of a positive negative is it that it's Roy Keane? Well, obviously, the, the Antwerp at the time, Warren Joyce, who's obviously at Wigan this season, um, he'd sort of said, like, after six months, you need to progress yep. more. So you're going to go back, you're going to go... I mean, he gave himself and Danny Simpson two one-way tickets and Darren, or Darren Gibson and Fraser Campbell two return tickets. I've never seen two lads' faces drop so much, but me and Simo were happy about it. We were going to go and uh, experience championship football. So the Sunderman thing came up. Roy Keane was manager, hero of mine, and you'd seen him around the training ground as you progressed. Or yeah, not? I mean, I, I mean, I'd spoken to him the odd time in the gym, but I was totally in awe of him. Mm, well, <laughs> obviously, um, I'd gone. To, I, I decided to go to Sunderland. They were playing a game against Preston at the week at, at the weekend. So Roy had been in touch with me. He didn't at the time, and he said, "Well, tell him to come up, watch the game. And I'll, I'll have a chat with him after." So I'm driving up to Sunderland. I had a, a mini at the time <laughs> of all the, of all cars in my leg for the leg room and that. But I'm driving up to Sunderland and my steering wheel uh, locks. No way. So I'm on the motorway. And I th 
oh, the, the, oh. the fluid in the steering wheel or something, there was a leak. And so oh I managed to pull the car in, get, I left the, abandoned the car, got a taxi up to Sunderland, had to get a taxi back down um, after the game. And I was going to Sunderland a few days later. Um, so I had no way of getting back up, I had no car. So Roy Keane, obviously I found out about this, he said, I'll come pick him up. He was still living in Manchester at the time. So there's me, uh, heroes come to pick me up. Two and a half hour journey, the whole way to Sunderland. And I mean, it was fantastic for me to get the, the experience out, but he's come to pick me up at the house and I'm standing there. My mum's still trying to kiss me on the cheek by and, that, and I'm like, mum, will you get off? <laughs> I'm 19. <laughs> and uh, he was my hero. And, after that, obviously, I'd come back to, um, let's mention, we won the championship. Shall I mention that? That was coming great, to. That <laughs> was, was a, coming to. Which is a great experience and a, a great achievement because we went on a, a huge unbeaten sort of run for, I think when I joined at the time, we were 12th in the league. We ended up going on to win it. So that you, was an enjoyable you, time. I, I've looked and it seems to say to me, you play 19 times from in the league from when you join. You lose once, which I think is at Colchester. Colchester, yeah, and it, and it's a it's it's number one. You you debut for your country and you beat Spain before you played professional Premier League football. You go to the championship. Your first experience of playing top level senior football is to win the championship for Roy Keane against Steve Bruce's Birmingham on the last day on by winning at Luton when they lose. That's right. Who, who, who's your scriptwriter? <laughs> no, no. I mean, I think I was spoiled at that time. I mean, when I think back, I mean, everything just sort of. Flow nice, like I said, I had good lung spells and um, winning, winning the championship. I mean, that's a, that's a fantastic achievement. When I look back on, you know, winning obviously Premier League titles with Manchester United, and that, I think that was the sort of first career trophy that I can that I can be really, really proud of and sort of kickstarted me. And I felt like it, you know we were winning and winning uh, at the start of my career. You know, things were were really going well. It strikes me, I mean, it strikes me that you've prepared yourself for that. This none of this. You've already used the expression, none of this fell into your lap. So if things were flowing, you know, there's a certain point at which you, you hit ramming speed when you hit warp speed, and you've done that for yourself. But, you know, I've always had a fascination for Roy Keane because he's certainly my kind of footballer. And I'm also, it frustrates me greatly, and I like a lot about him, and I think mm -hmm. that he's often either misportrayed or else deliberately misleads people. And I would have thought that because at that stage he's in, as a manager, he's in his pomp. That's you. You have a. You, I was going to say you have a good side. You have a championship side, but you also a side that's playing good football. I, I used to tune in. I used to like watching. Uh, mm -hmm. I think Carlos Edwards would have been the that's one right, that Carlos caught my eye. Right. Who I liked watching. Flying winger. The atmosphere is good because the atmosphere there when. It, yeah. I'm not so sure about Middlesbrough. Certainly the atmosphere at Newcastle Sunderland when things are going well, is is pretty special. Now that must have been an adrenaline buzz, but I'm interested in in. What portrait do you portray of Roy as a, ma as a successful manager? What's that like working for him? Well, I mean, I, I mean, I, exp I experienced both sides. I, both my loan spells came in the January window. Um, so the first year in their championship, going to win, like you said, sorry, we lose one game out of 19 and everything's going well. And that, and was, he was fantastic. He was so calm and collected and, um, like you say, he wanted us to play good football. He'd been brought up on that, played that majority of his career. So I could see that. And then when I went back a second year, obviously they're, we're in the Premier League and you're not mm. winning as many games and mm. Roy's a winner. Mm. And, you know, I think sometimes that maybe frustrated him a bit more. And I mean, I think he saw a lot, a lot of me 
that he liked. He mm. liked my character and um, he liked the fact that I was also a winner. So I, I could relate to him a lot and I, I could relate to at times when he was angry. Maybe some players couldn't understand that. Uh, he wanted more and I wanted more. I was a young, ambitious lad who was, um, you know, trying to win every single game that I played, even in training. He liked the way I trained. and um, So I think we could both relate to each other in that way and I think that's why... Um, you know, he speaks highly of me mm. and why I enjoy playing under. It still bugs me a little bit. I, I felt, as I often feel about managers who earn success, then they go up to another level and some things around the club or a squad can be found lacking. I think more often clubs should stay with a manager and say, OK, we saw what you did when things were going well. We understand the reasons for maybe struggling or being relegated again are different from you. And I still feel that that was his place and that he should have been there longer and, it, and I'm not reaching for criticism of Sunderland. I think what I'm expressing is a little bit of frustration because I'd really like to see Roy Keane the manager. Yeah, exactly. Personally. I mean, I think, I think, I mean, I, I'd gone from Sunderland at the time, I was back in Manchester United when his, his time had finally came to an end at Sunderland. And I think it was maybe a lot more had gone on between him and the chairman. I'm, I don't know. No. But, you know, sort of reading bet- between the lines that, you know, it wasn't maybe a case of. If I can offer you then that, that I think there's, I think a lot of people would see him on television now and think, He's moved on, the door's closed, he's, he's maybe not going to be a manager or coaching his thing. I'm, I'm unsure. I don't think we've seen either the last of Roy Keane, the coach manager, nor do I think that he's properly appreciated for... I think that thing, the Sunderland achievement, can drift off in the past and people kind of cobweb it, and I don't think that's right. No, I think I don't think we've seen the, the last one. I think he'd be itching to get back into it, I really do. And I think he's probably... Enjoying what he's doing now and being patient. That I'm sure it's a different role now because is. international football gives him time away. He's working with Martin. I still have a vision that he'll have a project of his own. Yeah, exactly. I mean, sometimes people are so, I mean, impatient about going into management and there's so much. I mean, you see the, these coaches, as, as I say it, especially in, in, uh, in European countries where they're a number two coach for a long time and you know, they, they they learn their trade that way and, and, and be patient about it and and uh you know, eventually something will fall that's right for you at that time. I think you might well be as a manager, you know, people often say goalkeepers at the best at two, three, three, thirty four, set and a half, hopefully as well. But you often see that with accumulated wisdom. The whiz kid manager's fine, but the managers are often at their best in their fifties, I think. Different as a human being, more accumulated experience. Possibly calmer. Exactly. I think us as footballers, we all think we're going to be managers. But I mean, I mean, I've I've been f- fortunate to play under Sir Alex Ferguson, and you know, he's had a, a very successful long career. But you know, I'm sure as he as he got older, he probably realised that he became a better manager. And he know, definitely it, changed. It takes time. He changed. Yeah. It it takes time. You know, right now I'm working under Tony Pulis. He's been around a long time, and people forget that he's. He's so shrewd and streetwise, and I, I can see so many things. I think, well, you know, players, we all question decisions and we question why are you doing this, why are you doing that? And you have to think, this guy's been around and seen it all for, for a long, long time. The Big Interview is produced by Backpage and me, Graham Hunter. The music you always hear, the music that you love, is Beer Jacket. You can enter exclusive competitions and put your questions to our future Big Interview guests by getting on the mailing list at grahamhunter.tv. Yes, several thousand of you have done it, but come on, slackers at the back, sign up. Thanks for being there. Without you, this would be fun, but a lot less fun. See you soon.